Let's look at verse 19, brethren. Let us hear the word of God. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Oh, may the Lord bless the reading of this precious word. Beloved brethren, Joseph had experienced a life of suffering. Hated by his brothers, he endured their mockery and scorn. When their murderous plans were thwarted by their oldest brother, they sold Joseph as a slave into Egypt. Young, torn away from his family, sent into a foreign land, and... uh, then serving as a household slave of a powerful man, he was falsely accused of rape and thrown into prison. Then after helping two servants of the king, who were likewise in jail by interpreting, uh, by interpreting their dreams, they forgot him. At least the one that wasn't executed forgot him. And he was left in the jail. But in God's good time, when Pharaoh wanted a troubling dream interpreted, the butler remembered that Joseph had interpreted his dream. Joseph was brought from jail. He interpreted Pharaoh's dream. And then Pharaoh promoted him to the second most powerful position in all Egypt. Famine drove Joseph's brothers down to Egypt and uh, Joseph finally revealed himself to them there. Fearful that Joseph would destroy them in revenge, they pleaded for mercy. Instead of vengeance, Joseph showed them love and mercy. Love and mercy. Saying, But as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good. Joseph could see through all the tragedy in his life that behind the scenes was a wise Loving, sovereign God. Tragically, many who profess to know God do not see Him as did Joseph. What worship God loses and what comfort men lose when they do not see the wisdom, goodness, and sovereignty of God. Arthur Pink wrote in his Gleanings from the Godhead, quote, The God of this century no more resembles the Sovereign of Holy Writ 
than does the dim flickering of a candle, the glory of the midday sun. The God who is talked about in the average pulpit, spoken of in the ordinary Sunday school, mentioned in much of the religious literature of the day, and preached in most of the so-called Bible conferences, is a figment of human imagination, an invention of maudlin sentimentality. The heathen outside the pale of Christendom form gods of wood and stone, while millions of heathen inside Christendom manufacture a god out of their carnal minds. In reality, they are but atheists, for there is no possible alternative between an absolutely supreme God and no God at all. A God whose will is resisted, whose designs are frustrated, whose purpose is checkmated, possesses no title to deity. And far from being a fit object of worship, merits nothing but contempt. Close quote. Arthur Pink knew the God that Joseph knew. And God's people throughout the ages who come on their knees to learn of the God of the Bible find no other God but this one. God is sovereign. God rules and reigns over all the issues of life. Now I repeat my purpose. We want to study the doctrine of grace. God's sovereignty in the salvation of sinners. But I have over the years begun to believe that uh, it is at least unwise, especially in our day of ignorance, not to, uh, to, to begin a study such as this with um, a look at who God is before we look at how he saves sinners. And that is why we began this particular series with two questions. Who is God? And what has he done to save sinners? Well, we're attempting to answer who is God before we go on to the issue of what this God has done to save men from their sins. And I fear, brethren, and I do not say this puffed up. I'm not attempting to be some theological blowfish here. I say this with great sorrow and with great anguish of soul that so many today who profess to be Christians know so little about the God they say they worship. As I pointed out, God loses His rightful worship 
when we sit around scratching our heads as to how certain things just kind of popped into our lives. How did this happen? How did this happen? Well, if God loved me, why did He let this happen? We need to know who that God is in order to be able to rest when we face the trials and the fiery afflictions of life. Many Christians today, or at least many professing Christians, have a view of God that seems clearly to fall into the, the, the category that Pink said in his last sentence. A God whose will is resisted, whose designs are frustrated, whose purpose is checkmated, possesses no title to deity. We lose great comfort, he loses worship. So let's consider two heads tonight as we think about Joseph's God, the one who ruled over his being mocked, scorned, hated, sold into slavery, accused of rape, and left in jail. Let us dig into this glorious treasure chest of God's Word and see who our God is. And of course, this is a vast subject. I cannot hope uh, even this being a, a continuation of last week's study, I cannot hope in just a, a few messages to cover the glory and the vastness of this subject. But, having said that, the two heads we want to consider tonight are the basis of God's sovereignty and then the realms of God's sovereignty. We mentioned the realms last week. We're going to unfold them this evening. But let's begin with the basis of God's sovereignty. We defined the sovereignty of God last week as God's absolute rule over all things, people, places, things, and events according to His sovereign purpose. And we will see that passage after passage as we wrestle through this tonight. But first of all, we want to consider then what the basis for this sovereignty, this rule over all things is. And uh, I find it in at least two things. First, His infinite power as the living God. And secondly, His ownership of all things as Creator. First, His infinite power. Beloved people of God, when God revealed Himself to Abraham, He said, I am the Almighty God. Now, heaven worships Him as such. The four beasts had each of them six wings, the book of Revelation tells us. And they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty! Lord God Almighty! The Lord God Omnipotent! The One who has all power! which was and is and is to come. Revelation 4.8 Jehoshaphat prayed, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? 
Now that's a glorious question, and that's one that we all have to answer. Oh God of our fathers, who is he talking about? The God of Abraham. Who is the God of Abraham? The Almighty. O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven, and rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? Brother, that makes me want to take my shoes off. We're on holy ground. We're not dealing with some pitiful, maudlin God who's sitting on His holy throne biting His nails about what's going on down on His earth. Who's trying to do things among the big bad wills of men today. We serve the God who rules and reigns in almighty power and heaven itself thunders with that praise. Lord God Almighty. The prophet Jeremiah proclaimed, O Lord God, behold, Thou hast made the heaven and the earth by Thy great power and stretched out arm. And there is nothing, and there is nothing too hard for Thee. Jeremiah 32.17 Brethren, do you worship that God? We want our voices to be added to those of heaven. God is sovereign because He has all power and all things are under His ruling power. There is none greater. There is none that comes close. So, first, the basis of God's sovereignty is this extraordinary power, which can be summed up by saying, none is able to withstand thee, nothing is too hard for thee. And heaven praises His name, Lord God Almighty. Secondly, His ownership of all things as Creator is the foundation for His sovereignty. He made everything. It's His. He made it. It's His. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Genesis 1.1 In six days, He made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is. Exodus 20.11 The psalmist said, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. Why? He spake and it was done. Brethren, we very rarely stand in awe of the God of heaven and earth. And it is because we have such tiny, sinful, limited ideas of Him. And we have such exceedingly large concepts of ourselves. Our pride, our wickedness, our bloatedness about ourselves and our accomplishments keeps us from standing in awe of Him 
who speak. And it stood fast. Brethren, we can't speak a fruit fly into existence. We can't wish a single cell creature into existence. We could all hold hands here in this room and we could own together hoping and praying that we could just make the first single cell of life. And brethren, we'd just go hoarse. It's not going to happen. We can't create anything. But God in heaven, the sovereign, has all power and has created all things and sustains them by the word of His power. Nehemiah said, Thou, even Thou, art Lord alone. Thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein. And Thou preservest them all, and the host of heaven worshipeth Thee. Nehemiah 9.6 Brethren, they understood all the way back into the Old Testament and in the very earliest days that God, whoever created all of the heaven and the earth, that God was the God who ruled over all things. When they look at His great power, when they look at the immensity of the sky and the glory of the stars and the sun and the moon and of the valleys and of the hills and of the mighty winds and of the seas and all that is therein, they knew who God was. Deuteronomy 10.14 Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God, the earth also, and all that therein is. Because He has all power, because He made it, it's His. He owns it. That's your air. I mean, His air. You are breathing. Those are His bodies that you're living your life with. Those are His trees, His seas, His fowl and His fish. It's all His. All of it. First Chronicles 29.11 Again, a great prayer. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness of if we understand that He's made all things, brethren, we begin to see something of that greatness. Thine is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Oh, how we have lost the majesty of God because we've lost the sovereignty of God. We've lost view of the fact that He is great, not we ourselves. He made us, not we ourselves. He is God, not we. And He's made it all and He owns it. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. All of it. Chronicles 29.11 goes on, For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all.
immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light inaccessible, hid from our eyes, most precious, most glorious, the ancient of days, almighty, victorious. Thy great name we praise. Well, we do very little praising of that God in our day because our theology has become so man-centered. After all, how powerful is He when He's waiting for us to let Him save us? Brethren, this is the God of the Bible. The Sovereign who rules over all things because He has all power and because He made it. It's all His. None can take it out of His hand. Nothing's too hard for Him. No one can oppose Him. No one can thwart His will. He is God. So that brings us then to consider the realms of His sovereignty. If that's the basis of His sovereignty, let's see how the Scriptures lay out that glorious reign. God declares through the prophet Isaiah, For I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. He can make that statement because he has all power. Because it's all his. Let's consider first the realm of creation. The realm of creation. There is no other God like ours. He made all things. And brethren, when we stand upon this glorious earth that he made and we turn our eyes upon the heavens, we discover that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Uh, Psalm 19.1 The Holy Spirit tells us that God made great lights, the sun to rule by day, the moon and stars to rule by night. Psalm 136 And yet it is clear to see that there is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another star in glory. Now, brethren, let's ask ourselves, why is there a difference? Why is there a different glory between the sun and the moon and the stars? There is one simple answer. God wanted it that way. That's it. Why are some stars... Uh, ten times, hundreds of times more immense than the star which heats our galaxy. Because God made it that way. Why only so many planets that go around our star? Because God made it that way. Why are some of the planets huge? And why are some of them small? Why are some of them hot? Burning up where no human life could live. Why are some of them so freezing cold no life could live? Because God made them that way. He did exactly what He chose to do. Revelation 4.11 For thy pleasure they are 
and were created. When you look at that glorious sky at night, brethren, it's just exactly that way because God hung it just like that. It's the way He wanted it. Why are no two trees uh, the same? Why are no two birds the same, even from the same species? Why Why is nothing identical? Even when we say identical twins, there are differences. There are differences. Why? Because of God's sovereign will. His sovereign purpose. He makes things as He wills for His own glory. He can make men and women beautiful or He can make them ugly. He can make them rich. He can make them poor. He can make them intelligent. He can leave them dull, ignorant. He can make them tall or short. He can make them of whatever race He will. He can have all the body parts that function or some of them that malfunction. Why are we different? Because God decreed it so. When we look at the earth, God is sovereign over the weather. Job 36, verse 27. I love this passage. For he maketh small the drops of water. They pour down rain according to the vapor thereof, which the clouds do drop and distill upon man abundantly. If you've never read John Piper's little article on rain, you really need to read that. You could probably get a copy of that from Brother Stephen. But here it is. He maketh small the drops of water. which the clouds do drop and distill upon man abundantly. Also, can any understand the spreadings of the clouds? Brethren, have you ever noticed there's there's no two cloud banks the same? And they never fall out across the sky the same. Oh, what glories we see of God's handiwork day in and day out. It's no random climate changes that cause these things. Brethren, this is the work, this is the handiwork of our God. It says, With clouds He covereth the light, and commandeth it not to shine by by the cloud that cometh betwixt. You ever been out working in a hot day? Working in the garden, working in the yard, painting the house, where you're out there in that burning heat, and all of a sudden, as you're working, and maybe you have your head down, all of a sudden, that kind of cool shadow of a cloud comes over you for a moment. Isn't that a blessing? <laughs> Amen. It's not just random. God sends His clouds just exactly where He wants them to go. Do you really believe that? Oh, brother, do you, do you believe this God? I mean, you're hearing the testimony. It says commandeth it not to shine by the cloud that cometh betwixt. The noise thereof showeth concerning itself, <clears throat> or concerning it, the cattle also concerning the vapor. At this also my heart trembleth and is moved out of his place. He's talking about fear. He says, Hear attentively the noise of his voice and the sound that goeth out of his mouth. He's talking about thunder. He directeth it under the whole heaven and his lightning unto the ends of the earth. His lightning. 
Now, brethren, when we see it gloriously lighting up the sky, it's His work. And it's just as bright or just as dim as He wants it. He says, He sends His lightning to the ends of the earth, and after it a voice roareth. You hear that thunder. You see the, the light, and then you hear the, the roar thunder. He thundereth with the voice of His excellency, and He will not stay them when His voice is heard. God thundereth marvelously with His voice. Great things doeth He which we cannot comprehend. For He saith to the snow, Be thou on the earth. The fifteen years I lived in my home in Ethel, Louisiana, it snowed twice. Those two times that that little bit of white stuff fell on our house, it was there because God in heaven said, Be in Ethel. Be thou on the earth, likewise to the small rain, and to the great rain of his strength. Out of the south cometh the whirlwind, and cold out of the north. By the breath of God, frost is given, and the breadth of the waters is straightened. Also by watering he wearieth the thick cloud. The great, the great sentence. He scattereth his bright cloud, and it is turned round about by his counsels. Brethren, do you hear the testimony of the Word of God? Shortly after I had feasted on this passage for the first time, and, uh, after my conversion, and I was reading and really beginning to understand God's glorious rule over all things. I remember sitting in an office, and I had a window right by my office, and there was a tremendous Louisiana thunderstorm going on out there. If you've never been in one, boy, they're, they're awesome. They're, they're great. I mean, they just it was just shaking the building, and the, the water was just pouring like floods out of the sky. And a woman was standing right next to me in front of the uh, in front of the window, and she stomped her foot and just looked at it and said, "It wasn't supposed to rain today." And went on about her business. And I just sat there rejoicing at my desk. Yes, it was. <laughs> it was supposed to rain today. The little gods called weathermen, who ought to be the most humble people on the planet, had said it was supposed to rain, and she believed them. But the God who made the heavens and the earth said, I'm going to send a frog strangler today. And it did. Brethren, this is the testimony of Scripture. We're not pagans bouncing around trees trying to figure out why the big sound is up in the sky. We know. We don't have to wonder why the seasons change and why they do what they do. We know. They may do whatsoever He commandeth upon the face of the world in the earth. That's the testimony of Scripture. He causeth it to come whether for correction or for His land or for mercy. It's our God. He is sovereign. He rules over the weather. He rules over animals. All the animals. 
When the people of Israel rebelled in the wilderness, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Numbers 2, 21, 16. I'm sorry, 21, 6. Brethren, today, if you read that in your average Sunday school, there are people who simply cannot read that without horror. What? God? God would send snakes in to bite people so they would die? Yes. Before going into the land of Canaan, the Lord threatened, I will also send wild beasts among you which shall rob you of your children and destroy your cattle if they broke His covenant. Likewise, I will also send the teeth of beasts upon them with the poison of serpents of the dust. Deuteronomy 32:24. To awaken them from their disobedience, God said, If I cause noisome beasts to pass through the land and they spoil it so that it be desolate, that no man may pass through because of the beasts. Ezekiel 14:15. Brethren, when Elijah the Tishbite fled into the wilderness... The Lord said, I've commanded the ravens to feed thee there. The birds came and brought him his dinner. And that's, those are just children's stories, right? No, brethren. This is the God who made the heavens and the earth. Who rules and reigns in glorious majesty. Jonah chapter 1 verse 17 tells us, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Wasn't any accident. God rules over every aspect of the animal kingdom. Brethren, you could do an entire series on God's rule and reign over the animal kingdom alone. The things that the Lord did. He sent lions to tear one of His prophets. He rules and reigns over all things. Now the Scriptures tell us why He does certain things at certain times, and we need to be very careful. He has not opened up a book of His decrees for us to see why He does all the things that He does. So we must be very cautious, and not immediately, when something, when something happens to someone, not immediately jump to say, oh, well, God's judging you, or like He did Israel, or something like that. We must be very careful. But the fact is, we know that God certainly can, and He does. He rules over famine. God not only rules over His beasts, but catastrophes. So will I send upon you famine and evil beasts, and they shall bereave thee, and pestilence and blood shall pass through thee, and I will bring the sword upon thee. I, the Lord, have spoken it. Ezekiel 5.17 Brethren, God says in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 7, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create Evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. The word evil there means chaos, catastrophes. Tornadoes, hurricanes, tidal waves, floods, every kind of pestilence. It doesn't happen apart from God's will. Because He is sovereign, because He is almighty and has created all things, He rules over all creation. 
deeper than this is just the slightest sketch. Let's look at providence for a few moments. God rules over Satan. Now that's a shock to a lot of people today. In many people's minds, there's nothing much different than the Gnostic idea of the struggle between good and evil. There's a good force and a bad force, and they're just out there duking it out, but God's going to win someday. Now there is a struggle and there is a battle. But the sovereign who is seated upon his throne in heaven is not challenged at all by Satan. He permits the struggle in the spirit realm and among men. He decrees it. But brethren, Satan is no match for the God of heaven. Job chapter 1 verse 8. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? What's Satan admitting here? (laughs) Everything Job has... You gave it. It's the same for you. Everything you have. It's the mercies of God. Oh, well, I work. I work hard and and I've made all my money and I have. You have what you have because of God's mercy. Even Satan himself here acknowledges this. He says, look what he's got. Look at his stuff. You gave it all to him. Anybody be happy if you did that for him. He says, but put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. Brethren, that is a sober, sober statement. Satan went from there and killed all ten of Job's children. But there was only one reason he could. God said, it's in your hand. And that's the only reason. The Lord isn't sitting up there going, wow, I was so busy dealing with this stuff over here. I didn't see Satan sneaking up and doing that bad thing over there. I'm going to stop that one of these days. He said, it's in your hand. But you can't kill him. And Satan did everything he could. Everything that he could to get Job to curse God. Later on, the Lord says, You can touch him. You can touch him from head to toe. But you can't kill him. You can't kill him. First of all, you can have his stuff, but don't touch him. Then you can touch him, but you can't take his life. Brethren, the fence, every time, was set by the sovereign decree of God. No trial or tragedy can come into your life apart from God's wise purpose. Not one. God rules among men. The Holy Spirit tells us in Proverbs 16, verse 9, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. The Lord directeth his steps. 
We can make all our plans and all our schemes and we can do all that we're attempting to do, brethren. But we'll never escape what God's ultimate purpose for us is. Never. Never. And that's not a fearful thing. That's a good thing. There's a place to rest. That even when I fail and make wrong decisions, I'm still in the hands of my good and wise God. And His thoughts toward me are good and not evil. And He will bring me through it His way in His time. Now, I've been choosing, obviously, negative examples of things. Not because I want to paint the Lord in a negative way, but simply that today, of course, anyone would say, well, if there's a blessing, sure, God brought it. Yes, if there are good things going on, sure, God did all that. My point is to say, but He's ruling over the the trials and the afflictions and the evil as well. Brethren, if He wants to deal with someone, He's ordained things so that men do just exactly what they want to do, but they still accomplish the will of God. You say, how does that work? I don't know. I'm not God. But I do know that this is the testimony of His Word. The Canaanites. God gives us this record of His sovereign purpose in the Promised Land through Joshua. Chapter 11. All the kings He took and smote them and slew them. Joshua made a long war with all those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel, save the Hivites and the inhabitants of Gibeon. All others they took in battle, for it was the Lord... It was of the Lord to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle that He might destroy them utterly. And that they might have no favor but that He might destroy them as the Lord commanded Moses. Brethren, He brought judgment upon these wicked heathen. And and the way He did it was He stirred up their own hearts How? I don't know. They did what they wanted to do. They said, let's go out and get them. And Israel crushed them because that was God's sovereign purpose. Absalom. 2 Samuel, chapter 16. The counsel of Ahithophel, which he counseled in those days, was as if a man had inquired at the oracle of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. Absalom listened to Ahithophel's counsel. He said, give me a handful of men. We're going to go out there. We'll just get your dad. We'll get King David. We're not going to go out for everyone else. We're just going to find David. We'll take care of him. We'll slay him. And then we'll bring all the others back to you. And they'll be faithful to you. Absalom said, boy, that sounds good. Let's get Hushai in here to see what Hushai says. Hushai says, no, this is a bad bad plan. Hushai says, no. He says, I counsel that all Israel be generally gathered unto thee from Dan to Beersheba as the sand that is by the sea. He says, So shall we come upon him in some place where he shall be found, and we will light upon him as the dew falleth on the ground. And he says, Boy, we're going to come with this giant army, and we're going to wipe them all out. Boy, Absalom said, That's better. Man, that's better. That's the one. Do, that's what we're going to do. Hushai's better than Ahithophel. Why did Absalom like that plan? He liked the way it sounded. He liked the way the, the revenge sounded better. Or, uh, he liked the way it sounded. It was better in his ears. Yeah, the whole nation. I lead, yeah, well, I'll lead the whole nation in there and we'll crush him like a bug. Yeah, I like that. Yet the Word of God says, For the Lord had appointed 
the defeat of the good counsel of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring evil upon Absalom. And it works in reverse. Brethren, sometimes we come up with great plans, wonderful plans, and the Lord crushes them into the dust. And we say, I don't understand it. Brethren, many times He's just preserving us from our own denseness and our own lack of foresight and understanding. God rules. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of waters. He turneth it whithersoever he will. Well, brethren, I say all those things, and there were many, simply to bring us to this, and we close here. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son that thy Son also may glorify thee as thou hast given him power over all flesh. Same almighty power. That he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal. That they might know thee. That they might know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. That is the God of Scripture. It is that Almighty that revealed Himself to Abraham and to Moses and to all the, the, the great men of God throughout the Scriptures and history. It is this God who rules and reigns over the weather over everything on earth, over the heavens, over Satan and over the devils. This Sovereign who's given all rule to the Lord Jesus Christ to save men from their sins. I said that before you for this reason. The Lord Jesus explains this great salvation partially as knowing Him. And I ask you, do you know that God? The one we've read about the last two weeks. Do you know that God? The sovereign ruler of the skies. Secondly, we set this God before us from His Word so that we might realize that He gets all the glory for the salvation of sinners. That great and mighty power, that almighty sovereign rule, all came to bear as the Lord Jesus Christ came and said, I've come to do Thy will. And You've given Me power over all flesh that I may give, that I may give eternal life to as many as Thou hast given Him. If you have life tonight, friend, it is because the sovereign God who rules all things ordained the time, the hour, the circumstances where you would come to see your need of a Savior. And then in His great mercy shined the light of His gospel into your heart and brought your own heart and mind and soul to repent of sin and believe on the Lord Jesus. Well, at least now we have a foundation. We've got a little picture 
of who our great and mighty God is. The Sovereign Ruler, the Lord God Omnipotent. Now, in the weeks ahead, as we open up His book and begin to look at His saving purpose, we can see it is this One who in His mercy and grace sent His Holy Son, Jesus Christ, to save His people from their sins. Oh, come to that Christ. Believe on Him. And believe the God who in His mercy and grace gave a great, a mighty, and a holy Savior to save wicked sinners from their sins. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.